This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this, this is Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio. Here's your host, Christian Tervish. Welcome to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Tervish, and we're here for you every Monday night at 5 p.m. Eastern, followed by replays throughout the week. The purpose of my show is to explore how work will change in times of globalization and digitization. I want to understand the work of tomorrow. If you are like me and have three young drivers in the home, I'm sure you gave the topic of car insurance some thought. Car insurance, like any form of insurance, looks like dark magic from the outside, but it's really an exercise of applied probability theory. Actuaries use math, statistics, and finance to evaluate risk and compute appropriate premium levels. That is a key function of any insurance and really has been a well-paying job for the past decades. As always in my show, I wanted to talk about how jobs change and more and more insurance companies now use AI for premium calculations, recommendation engines for helping their customers choose policies, and mobile devices to track our driving behavior. So today I want to understand the journey of the insurance industry, where it is heading in terms of jobs. To help us understand this topic, I have two wonderful guests. Mark Pitchford is the Chief Marketing and Sales Officer at Insurance, a direct-to-consumer insurance that was acquired by Allstate. In the second half of the show, I will talk to Kyle Nakatsuchi, co-founder and CEO of ClearCover. At this point, Mark, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Mark, Insurance is part of Allstate. Uh, most of us are familiar with the Allstate brand name. Can you just tell us about Insurance, how it started and what it does? Sure, yeah. Um, insurance was a um, really founded and started back in 1999 as a kind of the first online insurance company <clears throat> and really saying, how do you um, take the insurance that's been around for hundreds of years and bring it into the digital age. So um, selling it over the um, the web and then um, obviously over mobile and digital um, experiences. So really, we've been kind of digital from day one. We sort of talk about ourselves as being uh, born online and, and raised by technology and major inefficiency. So it's how do you take uh, all of the newest technology, technologies and innovation and bring them into the insurance environment. So it's a little bit the version of trying to get rid of the legacy effects of, of, kind of the legacy, the old way of doing things and just starting things from, from scratch? Correct, exactly. We are venture capital out of um, San Francisco to start with, um, and then it's sort of grown into being you know, a, a couple of billion in revenues, and we were acquired by Allstate in uh, 2011 and have continued to grow since then. I remember doing some work for marketing and innovation at Allstate uh, some, some 10 years ago, and at the time was, was Geico's direct model that was a major threat. Um, what do you think is at risk of disrupting insurance uh, these days? Well, I think there's a, there's a whole set, obviously, um, technologies and um, innovation. So certainly as you look at, I think in the, in the historical world of insurance, the things that sort of kept it protected were you know, regulation, um, the need for lots and lots of data to be able to get the, the pricing right, and the capital markets. And I think, you know, as data has become much more available with machine learning and AI, that's become less of a barrier. Um, and I think really the capital side um, has become less of a barrier as well. So what you're seeing is more and more companies entering the market with sort of digital experiences and newest data. And then I think you're also seeing the whole market change because you're seeing you know, the sharing economy, gig economy, so um, uh, self-driving vehicles. There are so many different shifts coming in the, the world. So whether you have a, the Lyfts or the Ubers or even on the home side, the Airbnbs, it's really changing the experience and changing both what you need to insure and who you need to insure. Now, insurance companies spend a lot of money on customer acquisition and marketing. So if I, if I think about $1 I spent on my policy, how much of that dollar is really there, is, is really spent to insure me and kind of counter towards my, my policy versus the, if you will, the administrative overhead, the customer acquisition through the little ads, through paying the agents? Uh, what does the cost structure look like of a kind of your, your type of insurance? Obviously, from um, each company, it's going to be slightly different, but think of it, generally speaking, roughly 75, 76 cents of every dollar in premium is going to go to pay, paying claims or managing those claims. So, you know, 
roughly three quarters of the money goes then straight back into the actual claims and recovery. And then most companies then have to live within that remaining 25% um, percent to say, um, how do I manage it? How do I market it? And um, can I make a profit or not? So if I think about getting an insurance from you and I basically made the decision, I'm going to go with insurance, going, my next new car is going to be with you. Um, how much, what are the human interactions that will look at my policy? I mean, a lot of these days, you mentioned you're built from technology up, and so hopefully most of these things are operated. But, but where will there be actual human labor involved in, in basically taking my business and at some point, hopefully not, but at some point processing my claim? Sure. No, absolutely. I think you can think about it really in a few steps. As you highlighted, nearly everyone, you know, you can do all of your quote and even purchase all of that um, done digitally, pulling data. But there are going to be situations where customers have questions um, about their insurance and are they getting the right coverage and do they understand it? And while, and today, most of those are handled um, by a human. Um, but this certainly you're seeing, you know, chat and virtual assistants and, and starting to take on some of that. But still, if you've got that question or just need a little more advice to make sure you're confident about the choice you've made and the purchase you've made, you'll certainly have a human interaction. I think then during the life of the policy, um, quite often you, again, may have a question. Um, to your, my, I have a 16-year-old who's about to start driving. When do I need to get them insured? What should I do with that? Those tend to be the kinds of more complex questions where you want to talk to someone versus just make a change online. And then, um, as you noted, that moment of truth when you have a claim and are we there to help you put your life back together, that high emotion, high empathy situation, quite often that's when you want to talk with an individual, particularly if you've never had a claim before. So you really want to interact with someone and and talk with them about it. Now, it may be if it's a minor fender bender, it's less likely, so you can do that with virtually or with photo claims or things like that. But the more complex it is, the more you want that human involvement and um, reassurance. So that's probably the, the thing we see that is as AI gets better and better in virtual assistants, the one thing it can't really duplicate is that empathy and that connection at the those most critical times, and that's where you really um, rely on having great, caring experts who can take care of the customer. So that is really the moment of truth where I need some form of a project manager that is not just basically processing payments, but also, as you said, like, help me put my life together. That's, that's the part where, which you just see, like, is really the hardest to automate in any form. Absolutely. So another way of asking my question is, uh, I, I think you have 3,000 associates working nationwide at, at Assurance. Can you just give us a rough breakdown over the different types of jobs that these folks do? Sure. Um, so if you think about sort of the, the those key frontline um, roles that, that touch our customer every day, certainly you, our largest organization and the largest part of the number of associates is our claims organization. And that could be individuals on the phone taking that first notice of when there's an accident and when something happens, or it could be when we need them an appraiser to come take a look at the car, or um, just managing the claim and kind of, as you highlighted, project managing the claim. And then obviously you have process people supporting them. We have um, uh, call centers in both sales and service for when the digital experience isn't sufficient and you have a few more questions. So that probably accounts for roughly another 800 people within the company. And then you really think about what are all the support organizations. So it's the product designers, the actuaries who are pricing it right, making sure we're reserving the right amounts of money. And then kind of all your standard um, roles that you have in almost every company with marketing and HR and finance and legal and um, um, IT. Obviously, IT is a critical part because if you're going to create great digital experiences, that's the your fundamental component of that. So, um, but it's, it's all of those support functions. How how is this ratio between claims, customer support, and the the rest of the business? 
How has this changed over the last 10, 15 years? I mean, you mentioned your company that grew up with technology as opposed to the legacy companies of, of now Allstate or State Farm. Um, if you would run the, the same ratios between customer support, claims processing as part of their workforce, how does it, how does it differ? Yeah, that's great. Um, I think the places we've probably seen the greatest change is in sales and service, even over just the last few years. Um, for example, if you look to this, probably just three years ago, roughly two-thirds of our sales actually came over the phone, even though most people quoted digitally. As people have become more and more comfortable with not only quoting digitally, but buying digitally, and now you've got you know, virtual assistant to help with that, that that's dropped to about half, and we're continuing, continuing to see it drop almost every month. So you're seeing fewer and fewer of those um, sort of licensed sales agents to help you through because the tools can get better and better. You're seeing the same kind of drop on service because as you can do more and more things with with your app online where you can you know, add cars and change cars and make all, lots of changes to your policy without talking to someone, people are more and more comfortable doing that and less and less likely to call us. So you've really seen the sales and service um, frontline organization shrink as a percentage of associates. Um, and where you've seen growth has been obviously in your engineering and dev side a bit and um, somewhat in your product side. And then claims really has continued to scale with the business um, because you are um, continuing to need to serve customers at that critical point. I think that the, the shift in the roles, particularly if you think in as product managers, as um, engineers and dev, um, and even in your sales and service organizations, the interaction with technology continues to change. The interaction with, um, you know, data science and um, machine learning. So the skills continue to change um, to keep up with um, the changes in technology in the market. So talk a little bit about these technological changes. I think uh, you know, you're really at the heart of any insurance is modeling and evaluation of risk and. Uh, with these devices, especially in car insurance, I think uh, Allstate has DriveWise and there's a progressive insurance device where basically the whole idea you prove to the company how good of a driver you are. Uh, how are those technologies impacting your business? Yeah, like you said, it is a, it's a big shift because truly what you want to be able to do is match your pricing to the risk and obviously understanding how good a driver someone is, you can better predict the risk. And so um, you started to see a lot of companies, you know, we have what we term um, drive sense, and it really was um, initially started with putting devices in the car where you would plug it into the OD2 device um, port and you'd be able to track kind of driving and driving behavior. What you're seeing is that shift to, in many cases, mobile now. We use a mobile app um, that tracks you know, those things that would point to being a slightly higher risk, are you speeding often, um, um, fast cornering, hard braking, kind of, um, you know, driving behaviors, what, um, where you're driving, what time of day you're driving, those kind of things tend to predict higher likelihood of accidents. And so it's an incredible amount of data, obviously, that we're, you're now um, gathering on each driver that has that, because you're tracking all of their trips and all of these events. So now, you know, you need with this with this huge amount of data. Obviously, now you need much more processing power, much more sort of machine learning and intelligence to really see the trends, predict the outcomes, predict what's likely. So yeah, you're definitely seeing um, telematics have a huge impact on how you think about the business and how you think about the risk and pricing it correctly. So telematics and uh, risk evaluation, give us a sense of how this has progressed into the market. I mean, I, I, I see as a, as a really neat use case of connected technologies 
Uh, what percentage of the car insurances that you underwrite basically are, are using this technology as part of the uh, of the pricing process? So um, roughly, and it's obviously changing very much over time, I think, as people become more and more comfortable with it. So um, historically, it was um, probably less accepted. Now you're seeing it more and more. Now there are a number of states that still don't yet um, – haven't yet approved it or haven't yet allowed it, but where we actually have it, we're seeing actually almost a little over 70% of our customers of new business are taking advantage of it. Now, part of that, obviously, it comes with the expectation that I think we all think we're a, we're a better than average driver, even though obviously that's mathematically impossible, but the um, you know there's a belief that I'm going to get a better price because I'm a safer driver. And obviously, we deliver that, and so, but there is an expectation around that. So you're probably getting about, like I said, about 70% of new customers who are taking it today. That's really interesting, Mark, in the sense that, I mean, you're giving this feedback like you're cornering too quickly or you're, when you come to a four-way stop, Christian, and you're still rolling at 10 miles per hour. Uh, these are hypothetical numbers just for in the, for the case that my insurance is listening here. But um, So um, how much can you use that? to not just ensure better, but to coach the driver to become a better driver, right? I mean, so one thing is, is modeling and predicting risk. The other one is, is, is reducing risk, right? And so how to, how, how, to what extent does it allow you to grow from an insurance company to a safety company? Absolutely. That truly is, I think, the opportunity ahead of us and uh, where we see the real opportunity in that. I think that the um, we recently um, updated our interface and to, to start that shift and that journey towards helping drivers become safer, particularly in – so you can now see sort of heat maps of your drives and over, your drives over time and where you tend to um, – you know, where you tend to speed, where you tend to have the heartbreaking events, those kind of things, and sort of show you over time, and we give you – you know, a score for each trip and where you had opportunities to provide that coaching. The interesting thing we're seeing is, particularly with households, now you have this opportunity to say, you know, let's say this, um, my wife and I and our son are all on the same policy, to be able to see each one of them and how they drive and where they drive that then ultimately determines the risk of the household. Um, but it also helps in the coaching of that as well. So we can each um, you know, provide that coaching to our teenager who we wish would drive just a little bit more uh, conservatively. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit more about the technology? I mean, from, from a very naive perspective, I would imagine something that if geolocation equals stop sign, then make sure that speed equals to zero. But what, what type of technology, what type of hardware, what type of software goes into making this, these devices possible? So we leverage um, a um, an app, an SDK that was um, our software-defined um, capability that was actually built by Arity, which is another subsidiary of Allstate, and they use the technology within the phone um, to actually determine sort of um, you know, acceleration, cornering, deceleration. Um, where appropriate location and time of day. So you're actually using all of the capabilities within the phone itself that already measure those things, you know, just like your phone can tell your steps, et cetera. Um, it, has, you know, it can sense that movement, sends the acceleration of that movement. So it's actually leveraging the internal capabilities of whether it's, you know, um, iOS or Android um, um, within the phones themselves. Does this change how the consumer thinks about their insurance? I mean, uh, with all due respect, you Mark, but uh, consumers maybe not necessarily always like their insurance, right? I mean, they might be a little bit like, oh, I have to have auto insurance, and okay, I'll go with these guys. Um, now you're becoming a trusted partner and providing safety to my children or myself. Is, is that helping you to kind of change your relationship with, 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 with your drivers? And also, if you think about then, once you are in this partnership, you would imagine these relationships lasting much longer, right? Which would, from a business perspective, be a very desirable thing. Yes, I think that's certainly the, what 
we as insurance companies need to do to earn that right. Um, you know, as you said, I think in many cases today, when a customer thinks of their insurance company, it's sort of a, I know I need insurance, but I don't like it. I'm, it's one of those very rare products where you're paying for a product you hope you never use. Um, and so it really is about a relationship and trust and to actually deliver on that. Because today it does, you know, it can feel very one-sided because it's sort of, I give you all of my data and then you decide whether you're going to, what you're going to charge me, whether you're going to cover me. Um, our belief is this creates that opportunity to make it much more of a two-sided relationship where you get value back as a customer, not just in being protected if something bad happens, but actually in helping you to prevent something um, from happening and helping you be safer. Um, some of the ones we're even seeing on that journey going forward is, you know, obviously we have huge amounts of data on accidents and where where accidents occur and things like that. So why couldn't you take it the next step and say, hey, this intersection that you pass through each day is actually one of the most dangerous. And if you just did this change in your route, you'd be much less likely to have an accident. So not only does it actually, can you get to the point of helping each individual become a safer driver, you actually can help them avoid other situations where it is higher risk. So that provide value back in that relationship and make it more of a two-sided relationship, I think is really important. Well, that, that's really interesting. I was thinking for a moment you would head somewhere else was the argument, right? So you you not only get data about the consumer that you can coach the consumer to become a better driver, you also know that the left turn from Lancaster Avenue onto Wynwood Avenue is a very dangerous turn, and you could actually work with the township. Yes, absolutely. Um, to say here's the most dangerous uh, intersections, what could we do differently with it? I think you're absolutely right. There's, a, there's that proactive side as well, not just with the, the customer in their driving, but with... Um, with the cities, et cetera, as well. There's this negative uh, press for, for good reasons now in, in times of Facebook and Cambridge Analytica of, of, of selling data and using data. Uh, so you have some of the most sacred data that uh, other than health data probably that you can get from consumers when it comes to their mobility data. How do you think about that? So obviously customer protecting customer data is critical and sort of sacrosanct to what we do. So um, you're absolutely right. Um, that's an extremely high bar and a high bar that we hold ourselves to. I think so part of why we um, leverage um, Arity is that therefore we don't actually keep the data ourselves at all. Um, we, um, they, they can then populate it back through the app to the customer, et cetera, without us ever actually having to touch it or look at it, um, except in sort of in an anonymized way as we look at risk and pricing or as we look at making recommendations, et cetera. But, you know, those are the kind of things that you want to do. It's just like we would with, you know, obviously we see your credit card or bank account information. We would never, we don't actually keep any of that in our systems. We hold it to, send it to a very, protected third party, and then we just use a code when we need to go process a payment. So how you protect that data and think about it all the time, that is, you know, I, I look at it this way and say that insurance is so much about trust um, because it is this trust that will be there when we, when the customer needs them, needs us, but it's also the trust about their information, and that's one of those areas you just can't um, ever risk violating. So going forward, I mean, some of these technologies are relatively new and you've reached already 70% adoption. What's going to be the next technology wave in your industry? Well, certainly I think there's a long journey ahead on on this sort of connected um, car. Um, I do think the questions become, you know, how does that technology continue to develop? You know, the, the plug-in devices that we've sort of um, are also still out there are changing dramatically over time because now you can probably use them to actually even upgrade the technology in your car. How do you monitor what's happening with your car and having 
um, you know, better maintenance, better understanding in addition to the, the tracking, the driving. I think the interaction with um, your phone and mobile is continuing to accelerate. For example, we're seeing more and more people now use, you know, photo claims. So if I have a small fender bender, I can, I can just take a photo of the damage, upload it, and we're transferring, you know, money into your account that same day. Um, even to the point of now, sort of video appraisal. So you don't even have to make that appointment to come and have your car looked at. If it, there's more damage, you can actually do it virtually with a um, um, through video. So I think those technologies are continuing to shift and change. And obviously, the virtual assistance and machine learning and AI is continuing to help make experiences, um, digital experiences, better. So I think all of those things are changing um, and will continue to disrupt. But I also think the whole you know, sharing economy, gig economy, also is going to continue to create great um, opportunity for the insurance industry to figure out how it meets the evolving, uh, their evolving customers' needs. Um, how do I know, you know where I'm protected wherever I am, whatever I'm doing? And I think that um, creates great opportunity in the journey ahead. Says Mark Pitchford. Thank you, Mark, Chief Marketing uh, and Sales Officer at Assurance. You're listening to Work of Tomorrow. I'm Christian Tevish, and this is Business Radio powered by the Wharton School on Series XM. At this time, I want to welcome my second guest, Kyle Nakatsuchi, the CEO and co-founder of ClearCover. Welcome, Kyle. Hey, Christian. Thanks for having me. Hey, Kyle, a personal question first. As a consumer, did you ever have a claim on your car insurance? Why are you this kind of perfect type of driver who really doesn't need insurance? <laughs> Unfortunately, um, I have had claims before, so um, so I've been through that process as well. So talk about ClearCover and what it does and how, how you got started on it. Yeah, so the um, so you know the, the story started, I was uh, I got a law degree and an MBA from the University of Wisconsin, which, um, which was fantastic, and then I worked as an attorney for a little while um, at a firm that exclusively did work with startups, and so I'd been in the startup ecosystem for a long time, and um, and then left that to co-found the venture capital team at American Family Insurance. Uh, which is based in Madison, Wisconsin, and is the seventh, I think, largest property and casualty insurance company in the U.S. Um, it's a it's a pretty amazing business, and so we ended up uh, building up the venture capital practice there, starting in around 2013, and uh, and as part of that journey, sort of got to see, you know, the emergence of this this thing that became called insure tech, you know, this interest in sort of disrupting the industry or evolving the industry, and we got to talk to thousands of startups who had ideas about how that should be done, and we got to talk to big companies about um, what they thought would work and what they thought wouldn't work. And as a result of that, sort of stumbled on a number of hypotheses that ultimately led to um, to the creation of uh, of ClearCover. So, um, so I can go into all of them, but you know, I, I just want to make sure that I uh, I give you a little bit of background first. So insure tech is a super hot industry right now. And so maybe let's think about from the consumer's perspective first, like as a consumer, what do you expect from a great car insurance? What makes a great car insurance? Yes, it's a good question. So this is this is one of the um, one of the, the sort of pillars or hypotheses we started out with, right, is that I think when you looked at the, the industry uh, as a whole in insurance and insurance tech and in car insurance in particular, there was um, there was a great amount of interest in uh, how technology could change the industry and like how we could increase our engagement with customers. I think there were a lot of insurance companies out there who really wanted to increase the number of touch points or change how often they were interacting with the customers. And we went out and asked people what they really wanted from car insurance. And, um, and the answer was, frankly, pretty simple. They said they want the right coverage. They want it around when it matters. And they want to pay the least amount of money for it. And, right, and, and if you sort of reason the industry from first principles, um, None of those necessarily entail that you spend a lot of time talking to or engaging with the customer. So, like, we started from this first principles approach or this very different premise as to how people might engage with the product, which I think is a little different than how some people think about, um, you know, evolving the insurance. So what, what inefficiencies do you see in the traditional car insurance? I mean, I, I think an easy target is advertising, right? If you think about from the, the $1 I pay in premium, a lot of that money is going to TV ads and uh, other kind of administrative expenses. Um, what do you think is, is that ratio that get lo gets lost in the big traditional kind of car insurances 
a dollar that goes in, how many pennies are spent on insurance versus how many pens, pennies are spent on everything else? Yeah, it's uh, it's another good question. So, so we, you know, going back a minute. So when we, um, I was at American Family Ventures, we were seeing all of these startups and um, and seeing all these problems people wanted to solve. And uh, and the biggest problem was the most obvious one, which is that the product is just too expensive. And yet, most of the companies I was looking at, most of the companies in the space, uh, I think, were trying to solve the problem via underwriting which is to say that they were trying to take new data points and figure out how to price the car insurance product differently, whether it was by the mile or whether it was how you drive. Um, and all of those, uh, I, I think, are interesting and, um, and have positive attributes. But what we found is that that strategy only really addressed a very small segment of the market. And, um, and instead, what we could do is try to fundamentally change the cost structure of running an insurance company, right, based on all of these inefficiencies you just asked about, and in doing so, we could offer a product to people that, you know, it was compulsory. The government forced them to buy that they didn't, you know, didn't need to think about any more than they would think about any other car insurance, but to do so at a lower price, which would help us accomplish this goal of the right coverage when it mattered for the lowest possible cost. And so our lever was cost structure. And, and you know, addressing cost structure within the insurance industry implies that you're going to address a whole bunch of these inefficiencies. So let me talk about a couple. So insurance companies today... Have, um, have tons of capital, but from an operational perspective, they haven't, or, or you know, perhaps they're structurally precluded from, we think, allocating it efficiently. And so what this addresses is you know, billions in IT spend. And frankly, we don't even think the word IT should exist in our insurance company. right? Like, I think that's an outdated way to think about how technology fits into a business. Uh, there's billions in distribution costs. So whether that's you know, $26 billion that gets spent on the traditional agency infrastructure, or you know the 10 billion that gets spent by the top 10 carriers every single year on advertising and all these TV ads that you see everywhere, um, or you know I think most dangerous because it's hidden are um, the sort of hidden cost of inefficient processes or manual work that are tied to these outdated systems and technology that reside within businesses that have a lot of strengths but are also 100 years old. And so um, we set out to sort of do three things that are fundamentally different: to use advanced technology and tools to take a true technology startup and use it to sell insurance. The second thing was to build a proprietary technology-driven distribution platform that allowed us to offer insurance at scale in this unique way that I'll talk about in a minute called incidental insurance, which dramatically lowers our distribution costs, essentially cuts out all those ad expenses, and then use that to build a, a new but a pretty familiar-feeling insurance product that used that cost-structural advantage to offer people the same coverage as they were going to get from any of the big carriers they see on TV all the time, but at much lower prices. So that's interesting. I, I want to just kind of go back to what you said earlier on, right? If you think about insurance technology, there are these two parts of the puzzle. There is a lot of buzz going around kind of doing underwriting better, right? The, the whole devices that get put in the car, they monitor how you drive, that gives you more data points. The actuary can do a better job at pricing and potentially can also lower costs. Um, the second one that you mentioned is, is really more, more disrupting the value chain. It's just rather than going through customer acquisition through marketing, then an agent that uh, gets you, meets you at the local softball team, the whole process and of then underwriting coming up with a policy, you're just disrupting that, that big value chain as opposed to one function of that. Is that, is that a fair summary? Yeah, it is. And so uh, you, were, you were mildly avoiding my earlier question. Maybe it was too specific, and so I... I let you go uh, come up with an estimate plus minus 20, 30%. So from a traditional carrier, if I, I, I spent a dollar on my policy, how many pennies go actually into insurance as opposed to spending on the overhead, the IT, the marketing, everything else that you just put your finger on? Yep. And so the, uh, sorry, I wasn't, I didn't mean to avoid your question. So the answer is it depends on the carrier. And the other way to, um, that I think, the thing that makes this a little difficult to answer is that it, the uh, the ratios depend on how much you charge, right? So if a carrier is um, has higher prices generally, then um, the ratio of what they spend on claims might be a little different than someone who has lower prices um, and therefore looks like they spend more. So if I look, if I try to normalize the way insurance works, generally speaking, um, somewhere between you know, 50 and 70 cents of every dollar is allocated to paying claims, providing insurance. And then the remainder goes to running the insurance business. And so if you look at sort of the businesses which are most heavily burdened by legacy infrastructure or distribution costs, right, they might spend 
50 or 55 cents of every dollar paying claims and another 50 cents of every dollar paying for marketing, advertising, agency costs, running their own business, which um, which would imply that they lose 5% every year running insurance, which sounds a little crazy, but in fact, that's how most large insurance businesses work. They make up the rest on, on investing. And so um, you'll find it varies by every business, but really only 50 to sort of 70%, depending on the company of every dollar you spend, goes to paying claims back to customers. Would you be comfortable being called the Southwest of insurance, so to say? I mean, that, that story reminds us awfully of, the, uh, not awfully, right, and posit- positively of what Southwest did, jumping over the travel agents, kind of getting away of business class, simplifying the product. Is that, a, uh, is that a comparison that you would feel okay with? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The other, the other comparison that we like to use, although we haven't earned it quite yet, is um, is looking at what Amazon did to um, book selling back in '97, and it's it's essentially you know using software to take what are traditionally variable costs in in a business that is loaded with them and turn them into fixed costs, which allows you to um, have a much more efficient cost structure. It allows you to really compete on price in a meaningful way. So let's talk about cost structures and just kind of maybe to walk through another thought experiment. So if, if I, I would get insurance from you, uh, tell me how the workflow looks like on your end, right? Uh, so I, I want to get insurance from you. What are the manual touch points that you have with me as a customer, and where do you have kind of IT do the job? So we have IT do most of the job until you tell us that it should not. And so where this really starts is, um, is our distribution model. And our distribution model is different than most other companies out there, and in particular different than traditional companies, not in that we're using digital, but in that we're using our distribution platform to reach you in different places and in different ways. So we start by focusing on what we call moments that matter. In other words, we focus our distribution on places where insurance is or should actually be relevant to the consumer. And if you think about most people's recent experiences with insurance, you know, TV commercials and blimps and, you know, everything else that's out there, it's pretty clear that this focus on places where it actually should be relevant narrows our scope of engagement pretty meaningfully. And so the initial moments we focused on are digital insurance shopping tools. We call these NEO agents, car purchasing and financing, and personal financial management. And if you think about these three broad buckets of engagement, there's this common thread, one, in that they're related to insurance, but secondly, in that in the old world, uh, most of these things were accomplished in that you had an objective or some intent you went to a physical location or talked to a person, and then you completed what you set out to do. And in the new world, there's an increasing number of digital layers between your intent and actually completing the action. So what we built is a platform of insurance APIs that allows us to integrate the ability to apply for and purchase insurance seamlessly within those moments, right? And so when you're doing things like comparing rates on a website or an app, or maybe just figuring out which bills are costing you too much using a personal finance app, ClearCover can provide an integrated insurance purchase experience that supports your insurance goals and needs, but wipes out all that extra spending in these places where it's clear that you have no reason to, nor should you have to think about insurance. Now, Kyle, if we if we kind of think about that uh, element of um, being the disruptor, in many other industries, you have seen the kind of two types of disruption models. There, there's the platform that is emerging, a word that you used yourself a moment ago, the platform that is operating like a two-sided marketplace. It, it doesn't really pardon the wording, do anything. It's just matching. It's the Airbnb type of model. It's the Uber model. And then there are the, the, the new models where you actually also do the work. Uh, to be clear, ClearCover does the insurance, right? You're not just a broker where you're basically uh, catching me at the, that moment that matters and then you're connecting me to another insurance. You insure me, right? That's right. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't enough just to create the platform because the real power of the platform is being able to create inventory that is um, high quality and lower priced. And so in order to really get the most out of what we were creating in order to deliver the real value to consumers that we wanted to, it was creating the platform and then building the products behind it to deliver through that platform. So how do you get into that moment that matters? So so think about maybe car buying as a situation. So I'm I'm in the market for a new car. I like the Tesla so much. I, I show up at the Tesla dealership. How do you get now into that moment? That is a moment where in my consumption chain, I am looking for insurance. And if you could be at the table, you would be in my consideration set. But it's all, of course, especially for a startup, hard to become top of mind for the consumer. So how, how do you get there? It's... Um so there are, there are a bunch of different avenues by which we arrive sort of in moments that are relevant to customers like that. So I think, you know, your experience with, um, with Tesla might be, you know, 
where did you start shopping? Did you did you start on the um, Tesla website? Did you you know Tesla is a tough example because uh, the the value chain is pretty well controlled by them. But like if we take you know make it like, Toyota, like, make it just Toyota. Toyota for example, right? So so Toyota, um, where did you start looking for which Toyota you wanted to buy? Did you even start with Toyota, right? So maybe you're on somewhere like Cars.com and you're on an Auto Trader and you're sort of looking through potential opportunities to buy. Um, how did you figure out which one to buy? Did you go to Kelly Blue Book? Did you use something like a true car to evaluate what you should offer? How are you paying for it? Did you go through some, you know, app? Did you go through um, through a mobile app to figure out how you were going to finance the vehicle before you went in? Did you look through sort of refinancing options after you purchased the vehicle? So there's all of these moments that surround the actual purchase in the dealership, or maybe we're just there in the dealership, right? And so, like, all of these are opportunities for us to use what we've built to integrate into your journey as a customer so that in any moment when you deem it relevant to sort of figure out the insurance problem for your car, uh, we can be there. We can be either sort of integrated in the search, integrated in the purchase, or integrated in the post-purchase activities, all of which are sort of still related to your insurance needs. So in my case, I worked with, uh, you know, getting a quote to TrueCar, and I had a good experience. We had the CEO of TrueCar a couple of years ago here on the show, and I loved that part. So, so let's, let's stay with that use case. So do you work with these companies, Cars.com, TrueCar, to get the share of mind for the consumer, or how, 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 do, you, how do you get into my consideration set? So, so we hope to. So we're, um, we're relatively early into our launch, and so a lot of these discussions are ongoing, but... Um, but so the plan would be to use our platform to integrate an offer of insurance in that experience with okay. someone like a true car, right? So, so the early launch for us has been focused on some of these um, digital insurance shopping tools because, in all candor, um, there is an incredible amount of demand and a growing amount of demand for people to compare rates using online tools or to use sort of apps to compare whether or not they're good at their insurance now, should be better, or could be could cost less, and there's very little of product inventory available to those people. So that was our distribution beachhead is through some of these digital insurance shopping. So tell us about your workforce. How many employees do you have right now and, and what do these folks do? So we are uh, 28 full-time. So um, we, we uh, were having a conversation the other day about sort of how daunting the challenge looked at the beginning and, and frankly continues to look. And so um, you know, competing against companies with tens of thousands of employees and billion dollars worth of advertising budget. And, you know, we launched an insurance company with 26 people in an office with a leaky roof. And, um, but it worked, right? And so, like, we're, we're very lightweight in terms of headcount. We're probably half technology product and engineering, uh, another sort of quarter insurance and insurance operations, and then another quarter of customer service. And, um, and that's been enough. You know, we're, we're about 60 days into our launch in California. Uh, we've sold about 1,300 policies with just a few partners, and about 70% of those have been purchased online, right? And that's, that's a big part of our leverage as a technology company that we've been able to build an experience where we can do um, really an order of magnitude more sales than a lot of our startup peers at, um, at lower cost by virtue of being able to um, selling a lot online and then um, building experience post-purchase that keep the process streamlined for customers and kind of keep them happy, but um, but as disengaged as they would probably like to be with the insurance product. Kyle, help us understand what it takes to start an insurance. I mean, I, I think I could start a burger restaurant because I, I know how to flip a burger. I mean, there, there's not too much rocket science involved. Uh, I see with insurance companies at least two problems, right? The first one is you just need data from that, that actuaries have used in the past about just kind of pricing by the zip code and by the driving behavior and all of this good stuff. That is Nothing that you can, I guess, easily download from somewhere. And then there's another problem that we maybe get to in a moment. So, so how do you start this? I mean, what, is the, what, what, what kind of foundation can you stand on to build this new business? So the first piece of the foundation you need to build, which is, um, which is honestly is contextually possible today in a way that it probably wasn't 10 years ago, is access to capital. Right, so insurance sort of by its very nature is stochastic. You make sure that you have the kind of capital base required to um, to weather the ups and downs. That was result. my second question, actually. Right, at some point when you buy when you buy a burger, you know that that consumption experience is over when yeah. you have kind of finished your plate. Versus if you buy insurance, there's this kind of this trust. Like, will these people be around by the time that I have my claim? 
Yes. So let's start few... with cap capital. Go go ahead. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no, that's a, it's a great point. It's one of the few products that I'm aware of where you don't actually know the cost of goods sold before you price the product. Mm -hmm. And so um, in order to deal with that, you need sort of a base of capital that allows you to make sure that you can pay all the claims that you have to pay and that there's stability in the business. And so we get that through um, through partners who have actually been in the insurance business for a very long time. And so um, we work with people who have much larger balance sheets than we have in order to ensure there is um, lots of money standing behind ClearCover and ClearCover's product in order to weather those changes and to, uh, and to pay claims when they come up. And so that's the piece number one that has to be there. We've been fortunate to have some great partners to help us out with that. Um, you also need the insurance product, which you mentioned, right? And so that's an actuarial exercise and sort of trying to figure out the cost of goods sold of your product without that much data. I think we've been fortunate in that um, because of our approach, uh, which is focused on using cost structure to uh, to lower how much it takes to um, to run an insurance business, and so you can lower the price of the product, we didn't have to make a lot of wild guesses as to how we would underwrite the insurance product. We could follow a lot of best practices that existed in the market already. And so instead of reaching on the um, on the data or actuarial side of the business, we really just followed a lot of what was out there, and um, but had to build that insurance product from scratch in order to deliver lower prices. And then the, sort of once you have the capital backing and the insurance product, then it's all about building sort of the technology to deliver that product, both to sell it and to provide the insurance service. And so that's a combination of um, insurance operations and product and technology. And like the net goal there is to build an insurance ecosystem in terms of the products you offer customers, the products you offer your partners, and the products that you offer um, internally to our team in order to make sure that we can, again, stick to our mission of providing the right coverage, and there's tools that help us do that, Sticking to these moments that matter, and we, you know, there's things we can do to make that true, and then doing so at the lowest possible cost. And so, so combining so, the capital and the product and all of these operational technology aspects give us the foundation of this insurance company. So on the pricing side, and I say this not as a critique, Kyle, I say this more out of admiration. You, you basically go on Geico and just see like what Geico would offer this customer. You subtract the kind of the the twenty thirty percent overhead that they have on the Gecko, and that's the price that you're going to quote, right? I mean, is is, is that the way you get started? You just basically you know, your price as your competitor was a little marked on because you know your cost structure is more lean. And then I guess in any business on the first couple of thousand units, you really you want to grow share first before you really have to worry too much about the profitability. You got it. I mean, there's some nuance to it, but that's yeah, very cool. what, you, what you described is how it works. Very good. So um, at the beginning, we, we kind of did this branch, right? When we talked about insurance technology and disruption, we talked about, on the one hand, disrupting the value chain versus, on the other hand, disrupting the, the actual pricing, the risk assessment. Um, it's kind of remarkable that really at the heart of what we imagine insur insurance would, would be is, is really the assessment of risk. And that is, in some sense, the least of your worries. Is this going forward in a year, two years from now? Is that a capability that you view central and potentially a competitive advantage? Or do you see that that's the companies like a, like a progressive with their, with their devices and other apps that are going to come out more on the market that are certifying driver skills? Is that a market that you just decided to not play in as your kind of primary competitive advantage? So I wouldn't rule it out as an area we can focus on. You know, it harkens back a little bit to, um, uh, you know, the Amazon mentality once more. So, so Bezos has said um, in many in many venues, um, most companies consider themselves to be customer focused, but most aren't. Most are actually competitor focused or technology focused. And so for us, you know, based on consumer adoption and based on sort of how people generally tend to feel about these solutions that are more underwriting-centric versus just give me the product and make it cost less. Um, we found that, you know, what the, the customer doesn't really want those things right now. And, and in fact, um, it's really hard to address a wide universe of customers with those technologies. So it's not that they're not important. It's not that we won't focus on them, but we will do so when our customer sort of calls out to us as needing that. And um, at this point, they're just not. Interesting. You, you talked about to stay with the Amazon comparison for a moment. I think a mistake that many analysts have done when they looked at Amazon is that you kind of believe there is a platform, and as you scale that business up at bigger scale, you get massive scale economies, and you basically can lower and lower the percentage of IT people. And while this is directionally correct, I think the big surprise for many companies have been that when you scale up a business, 
how much more IT complexity enters your game. So you mentioned you have about half of your employees in IT and in engineering. So if you, if you imagine now growing your business, uh, let's apply a 10x kind of for the next, next couple of years. Um, how do you imagine, how, you, how would your business scale with, uh, ten, to, to be 10 times as big as it is now? So the nice thing about the insurance market and car insurance in particular is um, because so many people drive and because the product is compulsory, um, the market is is um, absolutely massive. And so we can effectively deliver the same product and service using the same technology base we have and grow the company, not, not just 10x, but 100x. And so we'll get a lot of leverage out of what we've already built just because what we've built is so broadly applicable to so many people. Now, if I think about you know the kind of effort technologically it would take to do something like expand product lines or change countries, and um, that's when you start to add a lot of complexity to, to scaling the business. But for us, like I said, we get we get quite a bit of letter, leverage out of the technology platform we've built already by virtue of the number of people out there who would um, benefit from what we've already built. Now, predictions are always tricky, but since you are in, in the insurance business, you're all about predicting the future. Uh, give me a prediction for ClearCover in three years from now. Where will you guys stand? Oh, boy. Um, I'm always, my, my predictions are always precisely wrong, so I'll, um, I'll do my best to, to buck that trend. So, you know, I think when I, when I look out, so, so we're in California right now. There's a lot more drivers in California that we'd like to help, and then there's a lot more states in the U.S. that we'd like to expand the product to. And so my number one hope um, or you know, projection for us is that we'd be you know, in the majority of states in the U.S. helping all of these drivers who I think we can help. And then, you know, honestly, I, I think a few years from now, um, we'll, the, the business itself, I think we'll now, you know, I've used the word a couple of times, but the business itself will be a platform in terms of capital, human capital, and other resources such that we can start to dig into some of these underwriting issues or maybe think about vehicle autonomy or some of these major cha challenges heading for the industry, but from, um, from this unique position in that we're unconstrained in the way that um, a lot of big carriers are, but now empowered with capital and resources in a way that a lot of startups aren't. And so, like, in the next few years, not only do I hope to scale the company, but to scale our, our sort of platform as a business. Says Kyle Nakatsuchi, co-founder and CEO of ClearCover Insurance. Thank you so much, Kyle. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.